We're standing there watching the game, and he comes up to me, hey, man, you Justin Timberlake? And I'm just like, what? I was like, no. No, sir. I'm not. <laughs> Did he do something to you? Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> Are you Justin Timberlake? Okay. Hey, guys and gals, don't touch that dial. This is the podcast with a different style. Don't be a square. It's time to twist and shout because this is the station all the cool kids are talking about. So take down those stacks of wax and put on your listening caps. This is the Motivation Station with Katie Bellarino. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Motivation Station with Katie Bellarino. And that's me, your host, Katie Bellarino. Our guest today is going to be so fun and interesting, y'all. He is a husband, father, a missionary, and pastor. His story is full of love, passion, and he's always eager to go wherever God sends him. Ladies and gentlemen, our first male guest, David Speed. Oh, first male guest? First male guest. That's exciting. No pressure. <laughs> you know what's really Should funny? Should I speak deeper? No pressure. Okay. All right. <laughs> You automatically sound like you have a deep voice compared to me. Okay. I hope so, at least. Wait, in your description online, when I announced that you were going to be on the show, I kept wanting to put that, like, you were so funny. Oh, God. And then Matt's like, you can't put that he's funny. Matt's my husband. You can't put that he's funny because, like, what if he doesn't feel like being Mm -hmm. funny? It's a lot of pressure to, like, have to always be funny. I'm like, but he is funny. Well, you saw me, like, 10 years ago, though, so... I might not be funny anymore. Are you not funny? No, I think, I don't know. We'll see. You can edit it, right? Make me funny. Okay. We'll just put like a laugh track in there if we need to, if you have a bomb of a joke. Okay. Okay, David, why don't you start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. So I am from here originally, born in Lafayette, but grew up in New Orleans. My parents, my whole biological family all live in Canada. They're all Canadian. So me and my sister are the first born people in the States. Okay. It sounds weird, but yeah, that. So my parents met in Canada, came down. Uh, my mom was adopted by a family in okay. Alabama. Yeah. My dad came from Canada to find her in Alabama. And long story short, my mom eventually went to seminary. Okay. And so that's where I grew up on the seminary campus in Tilly. I didn't know any of this. Yep. Where, so you grew up where here in New or- the New Orleans area? Yeah, yeah. I grew up on the seminary campus in Gentilly and then bounced around like Metairie, Kenner, all that stuff. So yeah. how come like when I knew you growing up, like your parents were never home? The joke? <laughs> Was I that kid? Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you can say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we were always like, where is your mom and yeah. where's your dad? <laughs> <laughs> I think someone actually wrote a song about that. <laughs> Where's your mom and where's your dad? Yeah. That was a song about David Speed. I didn't even know you had a sister, David. Yeah, I do. No, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She she was. So, you know, this is a cool story, too, though. Like my parents, when I was 10, they separated. Okay. Eventually got divorced. I was like the no-no, you know, at the seminary campus. You're not allowed to. Oh. So that's why we never talked about it. Because we we're like, Shh, don't say anything. Oh, you know? I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was always awkward. But what's cool is so that was when I was 10. So 24 years later, my parents got remarried, which was last year. They got remarried. Yep, they got remarried. And I got to marry them, which was cool. What a great story. Yep. Oh, that's so good. I wish we could talk more about that. So that's why they were, you know, I was always the kid. The kid. That slept at everybody else's house. Where is everyone? Exactly. Okay, where'd you go to high school around here? I went to Grace King. Yeah. What were you like in high school? I was not a nerd, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I had 
few friends in each circle. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. I like sports, but I couldn't make any of the teams that they had there. But I was in a club called the Alternative Sports Society. What's that? Yeah. We play like Ultimate Frisbee and stuff like that, <laughs> but they didn't like the like uh, abbreviation of the Alternative Sports Society on our shirts that we made. What was it? Alternative Sports Society. <laughs> Are you That's with? it? A-S-S, you didn't? So they didn't like that uh, when, we, when we said we're in, can I say this? Yeah. Am I allowed? We're in the ass club. So that yeah. was like our, our thing. So they made us change it to the Alternative Sports Club. It was a public school. Why'd they care? Yeah, I don't know. I guess. <laughs> anyway, so we did that. And that was kind of my thing, you know? That was your thing. Alternative yeah. sports, being yeah. in clubs, Grace King, all yeah. that. Yeah. You kind of grew up always in like a Christian type of atmosphere, correct? Yeah. Um, do you feel like there was a moment in your life where it kind of just became your own and it wasn't just necessarily like what you were taught? Yeah, sure. So like grew up, you know, my parents were together all that time. They took us to church. My mom was like a children's minister mm-hmm. at church. They were, you know, visitation. They would do the whole thing, you know, teaching all that. Um, then when they got divorced, I was kind of like, hmm, y'all, y'all don't practice what you preach. I don't yeah. want to do this. Y'all playing me. Yeah. And so like <laughs> from the age of like 10 to 19, I was kind of like did my own little thing, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and then uh, we went to uh, a, you know, like student life camp somewhere in Louisiana. And that's where I um, kind of decided to do the thing for myself and like really had a conversation yeah. with the Lord. And was like, yeah, you know, I know this is real, but I want to make this real for my for my life, not just because right. other people are telling me to. So. Right. Okay. So you were like around 20, you yeah. said. How, um, did, how did all this come about from like, you decided to take on this belief system as your own. Yeah. And then lead us up to like, I want to be a missionary. Okay. So it's a weird story, I guess, because I'm like gringo, gringo, like transparent gringo. You know what I mean? Like my parents are from Canada. Like yeah. you don't get whiter than that. Yeah. Like that. So I'm super white. And so when I was in high school, I had some friends that were Spanish, you know, and they, you know, their families obviously speak Spanish and stuff, but like, I didn't understand a word. I didn't know anything like that wasn't my, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I always was like drawn to the culture. I Did guess. you take Spanish in high school? Uh, Yeah. So I did. I, I'm pretty sure I got C's and D's. Yeah. Like it, wasn't my, it wasn't my thing at all. I wasn't interested. But what was cool is that like I would see my friends and I guess it came from the part of like me, like you said, like where are his parents? Like I was kind of <laughs> always on my own. So like when I would hang out with them, it was like parties all the time. Like a kid's tooth falls out and there's a party. You know yeah, I mean? like exactly. Go, so I'm like, this is cool. I like this. Always a reason to celebrate. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, I got into that. I really yeah. like that. But as far as the language goes, it wasn't, I didn't even think, you know, I didn't even think in my head, am I going to speak their language? I was just Kind of enjoy being around it. Yeah. So anyway, long story short, Katrina came. And right after Katrina, um, Stephen Daigle, friend of mine, friend yeah. of yours, um, we kind of just or God ordained that we started this group of kids that were just hanging out, basically. You know, they were looking for guidance and youth ministry and yeah. things were kind of in shambles after Katrina. You did this at a church or no? Uh, we started at a church and then things got churchy. And so we, um, is that a nice, what is it? Yeah. Politically churchy. Mm-hmm. And I was like 20 and I was like, I don't know what this is. This is weird. So let's do, do something else. So Stephen and I kind of decided, well, actually Taylor Capilano's mom I'm opened not- up her garage. Okay. A friend like, of yours mom here. opened yeah. up a garage. So we went there for a few months and then we ended up renovating Stephen's garage at his house. And we started this thing on Tuesdays called I Tuesday. I Tuesday. So I mention all that because this kind of ties into the story of like how the mission thing came about. Yeah. So there was a summer in 2006, mm-hmm. I, the year after Katrina, we took a group from that I Tuesday group. We took them to a camp in Ruston, Louisiana. And so we're there and we're hanging out. 
um, there's kind of like this combination of things that had been happening in my life that I wasn't really, I didn't notice in the moment, but God was gearing me and moving me in towards what I'm doing now. Yeah. You know, um, to become a missionary and pastor and all that. Yeah. So the first thing that happened right before that trip, I'm driving, I was going to school at UNO. We're still having school in tents because of the you know Katrina, outside and all that. Katrina. And I remember driving, driving down this road on veterans and I get to veterans in Severn and there's a Lowe's to the right. And I look and there's like two, 300 Hispanic guys all in the line waiting for work. And I remember just seeing them. And I remember having like this sensation of like wanting to like talk to them. And it was just like a moment. It wasn't like this, you know, clouds didn't open up or anything I get like that, that sensation when I see people on the side of the road, like holding signs that they yeah. need like food or something. Yeah. It's like, if I wasn't alone right now, right. I want to like jump out and just be like, tell me the whole story yeah, of how you like got how you right guys, here right. It, on this corner. Like, yeah, tell me. Exactly. And the, another weird story is like Harper always wants to give them money, mom. Well, it's like no one carries cash anymore. It's right. 2020. So I'm like, I don't have anything. I was like, but if we have food, like we can always like give them food. Right. It's like a mom. I have snacks in my car like all the time. Yeah. Well, she found like a bag of Doritos and we were like starting to pull off and she's like, wait, mom, roll down the window. I'm like, you can't just hum a bag of Doritos <laughs> at a human being. Like they're not an animal. I'm like, we'll go back another time. But yeah. anyway, just to say, I, I get the idea of like, you just want to- That like, feeling, right? Yeah, the feeling. Yeah. Like what, what yeah. what's going on? And so I didn't really know what God was kind of like putting on my heart at that moment, but I had this, that weird feeling. I remembered it kind of registered in my brain, whatever. I went to class that day, yeah. didn't think about it. Then a few weeks later, we went to this camp, right? With these kids and we're at this camp and we're all sitting there. And I remember this, this moment when they're showing like pre-service videos of like different ministries and stuff like that. But it's a camp, so like. The service hadn't started yet. Kids are like running around, like throwing beach balls at each other. It's chaos. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there. I remember just sitting there like in this still moment. I'm watching the screen and they had this announcement about this ministry in Mexico. It was like at an orphanage. And I remember just looking at it like, and I was just kind of like caught for a yeah. second. Yeah. And then same thing as with the guys at Lowe's. It kind of like registered and then whatever. I didn't think too much about yeah. it. Let it go. Then we finished the camp, went home. About a month later, I'm at Stephen Daigle's house. And his brother-in-law comes up to me who had been a missionary in Mexico for eight years before that. Okay. Um, he came up to me. He was actually at that camp with us as a chaperone. And he was like, hey, Dave, I forgot to tell you, man, a couple of weeks ago at the camp, I just wanted to tell you, I saw you watching that video. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I saw you watching that pre-service video. I could tell you were really intrigued by it. Oh just remember, I was a missionary in Mexico. If you ever want to go to Mexico, you know, I can, doors open, I can help you get there. And I was like, oh, wow, no, thank you. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Um, but you know, <laughs> thanks for the offer. And I kind of let weird. it go. Thanks a lot, yeah. dude. I was yeah. like, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's not what I want to do. <laughs> so I kind of let that go, but that like invitation kind of like stayed in my mind. And then I was like, all right, maybe not as a missionary, but I could go just, you know, I do now kind of, it would be cool to learn Spanish. I could go and try to do that. Yeah. So I hooked up with him. Bottom line is in May of, uh, 2007. Okay. Um, I decided like, okay, this is going to be you know, something that I really want to do. And I uh, decided to go to Mexico. Okay, wait. So you went from someone telling you like, hey, if you ever want to go and you being like, oh, I don't I don't think so. No, thank right. you to to going. And what well, was the time frame? How uh, long? It was probably like three or four months after that. So what happened in, in, in between? I want to know what well, happened in the middle. Well, God kind of tricked me, I guess you could put it that way. Because I told the guy like, yeah, I want to go be a missionary. I'll do that. But I really didn't want to. I was like, but he lived in Acapulco which like, I didn't know much about, but like, you know, I don't know. Well, Acapulco was like, back in the day, it was like tourist spot, like Elvis shot a movie there. That's what it's famous for. And like, it's crazy. <laughs> Wait, he was a missionary there? Who? The, you, the guy who talked to don't you? Don't have that face. Yeah. But everybody thinks it's like, you're just on the beach all the time. People are, <laughs> people, I, that's why I hate telling people that I was a missionary in Acapulco. They're like, oh yeah, you're on the beach, you surfed. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Which, yes, but no, <laughs> you know, 
Um, <laughs> so, funny. but I, I told God, all right, I'll, I'll, I told the guy like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll see what that's about. But I really wanted to go and just like have like a cool summer in a different country and learn the language and like have to pay not that much money because yeah. he had some connections and I could, I could just meet some people and it'd be cool. So I get there and long story short, pastor picks me up from the airport. I don't speak any Spanish at all. He speaks no Bizarre. English. Yeah. I'm thinking like, dude, I really hope that you are the pastor as I'm getting in the car with him because I don't know anything. I don't know what he looks like. We're driving, don't understand anything. Takes me to the church. He's talking, he's talking, he's talking. I'm smiling, I have no idea what he's saying. Yeah. But he did say one thing and he put up his hand like this and he was like five, like this. Okay. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, Uno si. I'm like cinco. And he's like, yeah, cinco. <laughs> That's all I understood from that conversation. He said a bunch of other stuff. Well, no, you'll see. Okay. And so- I go home, he drops me off where I'm gonna stay with this lady, like this elderly lady in the church who like, she brings stuff to the church and care and sell things. So she needs somebody to help her. So I was like, I'll stay there. I'll help her. That'd be cool. This is anyway, such a whirlwind. You're still like hold having on. trouble keeping up. Okay, sorry. So, but I'm just saying all that because the next morning when I wake up, I hear a knock at the door. Oh, that's why. Five o'clock in the morning. Mm. Yeah. And it's this kid and he's like, come with me. I'm like, what the heck is, like, what is this? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> and so it's I- like a horror movie. I know. So yeah, the kid, he was actually ended up being a ghost. And I was joking. So, <laughs> no, the kid was real. He was real. So he takes me to the church and there's this guy standing there. This big, like, he's got his shirt off. He's got tattoos all over him. I know this is weird. And he's and he explaining to me, like, in his the kid's broken English that I'm going to be working with him for the next few months that I'm there. And I'm like, whoa. Now yeah. I want to, I want to learn Spanish. That's yeah, all I want right. to do. I really can't learn Spanish. Yeah. And so basically I hooked up with this guy. He was an ex gang member who six months before had given wow. his life to the Lord. Okay. He's helped building like um, stairs and a wall in the church. And I was there to help him mix concrete every day. So you were building a church is yeah. ultimately why you went. Yeah. And did you know this? I had no idea. Okay. Until yeah. you showed up and got picked up at 5am by yeah. a child. Exactly. Yeah. That is so crazy. But anyway, God kind of allowed me to see the other side of what I probably wasn't prepared to see. And just the way people live, the poverty, the need, all that stuff. And I was just like, dang, I'm going to live here forever. This is amazing. This is what I want to do. Like, Seriously? I want to be a missionary. Yeah, I, like decided right then. Which what is what? not the way you're supposed to be a missionary. You're supposed to like be sent out by your church. You know, it's supposed to, I'm basically like, no, I'm going to be a missionary. Y'all shut up. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> yeah. And so, so what is it like there? Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, in Acapulco. Acapulco is actually one of the most dangerous cities in the whole world. Really? Which I didn't know at the time. <laughs> you know? Where are they shooting these movies? Oh, that was, this was like in the seventies. They used to do that. Oh. They don't do that anymore. Okay. Yeah. It's changed. Um, yeah. They'll steal your cameras. But like, <laughs> so I'm there and you know, it's just, I learned so much about people, the culture, how they lived. And I was just like, I felt at home. It was weird. I just felt like this is it for me. It was like it fit, something yeah. fit and clicked. And so I was planning to go back after a few months and stay here and all that. But I eventually would stay come, where? come here and come live back. back. Yeah. Home. New Orleans. Yeah. Um, but every time I would come back, I would stay for like a month or two. And then I'm like, nah, I'm going back to Mexico. And I would, and so I did that. I worked around, I finished my uh, degree at UNO online. Did from you Mexico. really? Wow. Yeah. And so I did all that. Anyway, I was planning, like that was it. And I did that for two years until 2009. But in May of 2009 is when a little thing called the swine flu yeah, broke out. Yeah, I remember, remember that? that. So I was actually in Mexico at the time and my mom and sister had actually come to visit me for the first time. Oh my gosh. Because I had convinced them. And so we're there and we're, you know, I'm showing them everything. They're, you know, learning, they're seeing everything. Um, I'm like, mom, I want to bring you to where I live because we we're staying in a hotel. Okay. And, you know, and I was like, let me bring you where I live. So we're driving and we get there, we pull into the little parking lot and I kid you not, a naked lady jumps out of the bushes and starts banging on the top of my car, yelling, gringo, 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 like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Your, and, your mom's well, like- Exactly. So I was like, mom, 
I don't know her. Like, I, probably, <laughs> I don't know who she is. Oh, I swear I've never like, seen her before in my life. And it was life. true. I'd never <laughs> seen her before. So that happens and my mom and my sister are a little weirded out. So then we go eat and like things are kind of calming down a little bit. We go back to the hotel and we're sitting there watching TV and I see the TV start to shake. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's an earthquake. And it was like a mi- you know, mi- minor earthquake. Yeah. But living here, we don't have that. Yeah. I got used to it living there. I, yeah. I knew. But my mom and sister kind of freak out. Earthquake. All right. So we got naked lady. Then naked we got earthquake. earthquake. And then the next morning we wake up and on the CNN, it's like, if you're in Mexico, get out of Mexico now. There's a swine flu. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to die. Then your poor mom was probably like, you're yes. coming home with well, me. Exactly. So she said, you're coming home. And I was like, no, I'm not coming home. I'm not. That would be wrong for me to like leave. These are my people. Like, I'm it's not doing people, that. my people, Yeah, I'm not doing that. So that lasted a week. So they left. And then my my mom's like, no, I'll pay for your ticket and coming home. And so I had to go home. You had to go home. Yeah. And so I know this is sound like a story that's all over the place, but it kind of connects and it connects at a yeah. weird moment, yeah. which is coming up right now. Because when I was in Mexico, like officially living there, I wouldn't fly there. I would drive there, drive there from here, from New Orleans. Would you really? Yeah. And I would drive there to, you know, it's southern tip of Mexico. Yeah. It's like 45 hour trip. It was a long trip. Um, so when I flew home because of the swine flu, I knew like, man, I only have a few months left on my permit for my truck to be in the country of Mexico. If it um, expires, they get to keep my truck. So I was like, I need to go back at least get to my get car. my truck. Yeah. So I asked a friend that I have in Texas if he wanted to go, we'd fly there and drive back. He was like, yeah, let's do it. And so that was the plan, right? So we go, fly there, no problem. I was telling him, I was like, man, you know, we're going to be driving around a lot, like two gringos, just be ready. The police are going to stop us numerous Might see times. naked lady. Yeah, I that could happen I've too. I've never seen her. Yeah, um, Maria's her name. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, just be ready because police stop me all the time and like would take money and because I'm just the only white guy driving around there in that city. Anyway, so that didn't happen at all. The whole Do week they he was assume there. that white people have money? Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And then also like my, my car kind of stuck out. There's different things, yeah. different factors. But anyway, so that didn't happen at all during the week. So my friend's like, you lied. You, nothing ever happened to you here, whatever. I'm like, I really hope that on the way home, you we leave this country, you thinking that. That yeah. would be great. So we leave and we're driving back now. We drive to Mexico City. The day before driving to Mexico City, I got a phone call from somebody in the States that was like, hey, um, the first week of August, we are going to go with the church to Guatemala. Mm. Would you like to go? And I was like, hmm, that'd be awesome. I've never been to Guatemala. Um, how much is it? $650. I'm like, okay, I looked at my bank account. I had, I think I had like $700 in my bank account. No. I'm like, perfect. We can do this. Um, what was You're crazy. Like, I actually have more than enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, $50 for spending. Um, but like, all these things kind of like worked perfectly in the moment. So just imagine like, leave Mexico because the swine flu. I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? I'm here. I don't feel at home. What do you want me to do? So, I had decided, all right, let me get a job. So I got a job teaching Spanish at a school. Okay. Um, and then I enrolled in seminary to get my degree, master's degree. So I'm saying all that because this whole like whirlwind of me going back to Mexico to get my truck. And then somebody calls me about Guatemala. All those things were happening. And I knew that the second week of August, my like normal like work and school life was going to start. And so like I wanted to get all those things out of like I wanted to be able to go to Mexico, and get my truck. And I wanted to be able to go to Guatemala before all that and like get it out of my system and hope that I could make it a year of being a normal teacher like, teacher person saving and doing all that stuff. Yeah. So I say all that because we're driving back from Mexico. I get that phone call about Guatemala. I say, yes, absolutely. I'll be there. I'll pay the money when I get home. I'm driving back from Mexico. All good. Uh-huh. And I was like, it'll be the last trip before you know normal life starts. So we're driving through and in Mexico City, we get stopped by the cops. I'm like, just chill out, man. I got this now. I'm like, just watch. So the guy comes there, he rolls down, you know, roll down the window. We're talking. I'm acting like I don't speak much Spanish because at this time I'd already learned good enough Spanish. So 
I hear them talking and they're basically, you know, just setting up a scenario to where they can get some money out of us. So then not being smart, I speak up in Spanish like, hey, I understand you guys. You shouldn't do that. And they're like, oh, really? And it gets got out of hand real quick to the point where I end up in handcuffs. Oh, my God, David. (laughs) They take me to a building maybe like a kilometer away. And they leave my poor friend on the side of the road. He doesn't speak any Spanish. He has no idea what's going on. They take me and they- You were literally me. almost in the clear too. Like he yeah, almost was like, this was a great exactly. trip. <laughs> yeah, so we he takes me to this building. It was a mall and there's people and they're watching me and I'm like in handcuffs and I'm like, uh, somebody want to help me? Like yeah, I'm right. like, no idea what's going on. Yeah. They take me to the third floor. There's nothing on the third floor except like this long hallway. And at the end, there's a room. We go in there and it's an, this AT- is so scary. it's an ATM. And they're like, we know you're American. You got your debit card. You can go ahead and start taking your money out. <gasps> and so I did. And they took my money, which was my money for that trip to Guatemala. But I didn't think about that at the moment. Obviously. So they made you take out all of your money? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, you got robbed by a cop. Yeah. Well, but uh, it's a great story because God made it all work out perfectly. I know. So then were you I, scared for your life oh, at any absolutely. point? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. whole plan after we got back in the car and we're driving back to Mac- like to the border, we're like, man, what are we going to do? We got to get these guys. And like, yeah. we're talking. We're like, you know what? We should call like um, Ellen, the sh- Ellen show and be like, Ellen, this happened to us. You want to put yeah. hidden cameras on our truck and we'll drive back down there? Like, we had all right. these ideas, but nothing, that ever happened. But anyway, right. so- um, <laughs> we never got in touch with Ellen. We lost yeah, her no, number. Yeah. Well, she went to Grace King, so I figured like- No, you know, she did. Yeah, exactly. She did go to Grace King. But anyway, so I know like it can seem kind of crazy, but anyway, long story short, I get out of Mexico, across the border, get home, call the people at church. I'm like, hey, you know, this happened. Can't go. Thanks. Done. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm ready. Like, all right, school's about to start. Teaching about to start. Like normal life, I guess. You can you say, say where you were going to teach or where you- Yeah, taught? I was going to teach at Atonement Lutheran. Yeah. yeah. Did you know my husband went there for- Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, everything's connected. That's you know? so funny. Um, yeah, so I'll get back to that too, which was a really cool part of the story too. Well, you'll see. Anyway, so um, yeah, I get back to the States, call them. You know, I'm planning like just one more week waiting for school to start. I get a phone call from somebody at the church. They're like, hey, somebody heard about what happened to you in Mexico and they'd like to pay for your trip to Guatemala if you still want to go. What? To this day, I have no idea who you paid don't? for that. Nope, still don't know. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to go. What a special person. Yep. So in August of 2009, went to Guatemala for a week long mission trip at an orphanage just outside the city. I'd never been to Guatemala before. Um, I get there. It's at an orphanage. So like they just kind of assigned us to a house of certain kids. Mm -hmm. And like I was like all in, dove in. I don't think I saw anybody in our group the whole week. Like I was just there. With the kids. And so on the third or fourth day, the kids had to go to do like a little rehearsal for like some event they were doing. Yeah. They were singing a song. The kids that I was help watching, they get up on the stage and they're singing this song about how God loves them and all these things. And I'm sitting there <sighs> and it like all the moments, that moment at the lows, the moment at the at the youth camp scene, yes. that video, it like all came together in that moment. And I just lost it. Yeah. Started crying, go downstairs. I didn't want the kids to see me crying for some random reason. <gasps> I go in my room and I start praying. And I'm like, God, if you're telling me to stay here and this is what you want from me, all this stuff, this is what it comes to. No, I'm not yeah. doing it. I'm not doing it. Cause I knew I was like, I'm not going to make some emotional decision. Right. You know? So after the trip was over, came home and I remember being like 12 days in back here. And I was at, in one of my classes at seminary and I called Steven Bagel and I was like, man, I can't do this. I got to go back to Guatemala. I, I, got, I can't, I can't do it. And so I packed all my stuff, sold my truck, told the school, Atonement Lutheran, <laughs> hey guys, uh, sorry, I know I just took this job, but uh, I'm leaving. Yeah. But they were really cool about it. They're really nice. I remember the principal saying, you can have peace about that decision, which was really a nice thing for him to say. It was yeah. cool. So that happened. 
Um, I went back to Guatemala and I don't know how much you want to know about what happened after that, but. Hey, you guys, this is Katie from the Motivation Station. And I don't know if any of y'all know this, but the Motivation Station is under the umbrella of the All Over the Road Productions. So if you like listening to me and you want more of me, then go head over to the All Over the Road podcast, All Over the Road New Orleans. You can find them on Instagram. Or if you really don't like this podcast and you'd like to hear less of me, then why don't you check out All Over the Road? It's All Over the Road New Orleans, right? All Over the Road New Orleans. Check them out. All right, guys, and we're back. So David just got done talking to us about where we grew up and how he became a missionary. And right now in the story, he's talking about how he was, where he just got back to the orphanage. He left and then wanted to go back. So now he's back in Guatemala, right? That's right. And then what? Yeah, so we're talking like September 2009. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm officially in Guatemala. Like, this is where I'm going to live. This is it. Even though I was like, oh, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be at this orphanage and help out, whatever that means. Did you have money? Like well, someone paid for okay. your trip Are you and ready? you're just living there with no money? Are you ready for this? Because this is, to me, is one of the best parts. What? I'll, I was going to save it till later, but I'll tell you now. So this was, again, September 2009. Okay. And around that date every year, September, is when the NFL season starts, right? So when I was 14, I worked at TCBY and I saved all my money. And I got my dad to go to the Superdome with me to buy three season tickets back in the day. Like this was like 2000, 2001. Okay. So I've always had season tickets. Okay. And so in 2009, when I left, was the first time that I was going to miss since 2000, 2001, a Saints game. I would even fly home when I was in Mexico if there was like, I had to make the Saints games. Like that was the thing. Like I would schedule my missions around the football (laughs) season. Priorities, right? Yeah, exactly. So that was like a big reason. (laughs) So ready for this? This is so true to me. Nobody's going to convince me otherwise. September 2009, I'm in Guatemala knowing that I'm going to miss every single game. And guess what? They went 13 and 0 to start the season because I gave that idol (laughs) to the Lord. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. We can all thank you for that Yes, you totally can. And so you asked me where I got money from. I would sell my tickets online. And just from that year, because that was like the first year the Saints like really were doing it big and like people were paying crazy money. And I had seats like right in the front. I still do. Right in the front, right there. I was getting a good amount of money for each ticket. I saved all that money. And that was the money I used to live off of for all the years I lived in Guatemala, pay for my future wedding, all the kinds of stuff. Yeah. But it's because the Saints went to the Super Bowl and won. But I did fly home for all the playoff games and I went to all of them. (laughs) Because I wasn't going to miss that. So you know, I worked way too hard. I'm going yeah, to play on. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so, so there we go. So okay. that's how I'm in okay. Guatemala doing the thing. So eventually there was a day where I was kind of like, and I had a moment like this in Mexico too, where I was like, I would doubt, like, am I, what am I doing? <laughs> like, am I just, yeah. Try, like, is it, I would really actually doubt, like, is it the kid who like really didn't have the great home life and I'm just searching kind of mm-hmm. like for something all the time mm-hmm. and you know, and I keep bouncing around. Or is this where you really want me? And so I remember that day kind of praying of writing my journal about it. I was like really focusing on that. I want to do the right thing. Walked out of the little room where I was staying and there was these people, which we call at the baby house. They had kids. There was 25 kids, zero to two in one of the houses at the orphanage. Kids all over the place. They asked me, like I was walking by and they're like, can you hold this baby for a second? I'm like, oh yeah, okay. And they hand me this little girl, this little baby. And I'm staring at her and like, it wasn't like a movie. Like she didn't stop crying. She was 
screaming, freaking <laughs> she smiled out. At I'm you. like just holding her all random, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, what do You're I like, do? I don't know what to do this. And baby. so I like looking for help and I go inside and they tell me like her, you know, her diaper probably needs to be changed. I'm like, oh, I'm not doing this. Right. So I go into the little diaper changing room and I have one baby and there's five babies laid out on the table, the diaper changing <gasps> table. And there's this girl in there and she's like changing the diapers like super fast, like, like, like crazy fast. Yeah. And I'm like, dang, that was cool. So kind of <laughs> looked and looked and it was Rosa. Who that's how I met Rosa, who's now my wife. She and her daughter, who was seven at the time, when Rosa I met was her, the diaper changing lady. She was the diaper changing lady. She was one of the le- like the people who she took care of all the babies at oh the orphanage. Oh my gosh! Um, so just to give you some of the detail of that story. Um, that's how we met, and okay. you know, I can explain how we got married in a minute. But Rosa, yeah. so she um, she got to that orphanage when she was just turned fifteen, and so when she was growing up, she grew up with her parents, and her parents gave her to her grandmother to live with her grandmother. Her grandmother kind of like really couldn't take care of her. Um, Without going into all the details, she ended up living on the streets for a few years between the ages of 11 to 14. A lot of stuff happened. And she was working at this certain place. And I guess the word that you would use in the moment, but now it's not this word, but she let's just say she tragically, I guess, got pregnant. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. And so she didn't even know for a while Mm-hmm. And then there was a lady that took her in, some lady, and was like, we got to get you some help. Contacted yeah. somebody in the government or whatever it was, social work, and they eventually got her to this orphanage where a few weeks later she had Kimberly, which is my daughter now. Yeah. Also. Um, Kimberly was a preemie, so she had to stay in the hospital for like a month. Yeah. Um, and Rosa was only 15 at the time. But oh she ended gosh. up staying at the orphanage. And then when she turned 18, she ended up starting to work at the orphanage. So this was years later. But and Kimberly I, lived with her at the orphanage. Yeah, that was whole Kimberly's whole life was, you know, since she was Gosh. born was at the orphanage, all she knew. And so I got to, you know, meet her and eventually I learned her story. You know, she told me her story and everything. And um, it was just a really. How old was um, Kimberly when you met Rosa? She just turned seven. Okay. Yeah. And she's about to turn. She's 18 now. Wow. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, all that happened. Um, That's Harper's age. That's yeah. my daughter's age. Yeah. 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 So. It was pretty intense. Um, so over the months, Rosa and I really clicked. Mm-hmm. It was great. Um, she worked in the baby house and I worked in another house taking care of like 15 boys, ages mm-hmm. like 10 to 12. So like we hardly ever would see each other, you know? We would just talk on the phone as much as we could or I would visit her at, you know, after like all the kids were asleep and we'd talk and get to know each other. And eventually we ended up getting engaged and getting married. We got married May 28th, 2011. Okay. In Guatemala. In Guatemala. At the orphanage, outside under a tent. Oh my goodness. We had 200 guests at our at our wedding and 175 of them were all the kids from the orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> so it was super exciting. In hindsight though, it was really nice, but they don't give great gifts, right. you know? So like maybe that would have helped. We got lots of cheers yeah, though. Yeah, huh? it was great. No, but it was really cool. So that was a really awesome moment. And everybody would say, oh, now you're married. People would tell me like, ignorantly, really, they would be like, oh, now you're going to move back, huh? Because now you got your wife and you went to, people would literally tell me that. You went to go find a yeah, wife? Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's that's nice. Um, okay. <sighs> but we obviously, that wasn't our plan. We were like, this was it. This was our place yeah, to be. Yeah. So we took like a little um, hiatus, I guess, from living on the orphanage. We moved three blocks down the street and stayed mm-hmm. for a few months to kind of like settle. And Kimberly and I could like learn to live together. We all li- learned to live together. Yeah. And then we ended up taking on a house of 15 boys, ages three to 10. Okay. And that's what we did. That was our life there. That you know, we were mommy and daddy yeah. and all that. So we did that. So like when your wife met you, 
What, do you know anything about like what she thought of you? I'm curious. Like, does she did she say now like what she thought when you came to the orphanage or like what her first impression of you was? I'm just curious. She was like, "You look like Justin Timberlake." <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Is that how she talks? Maybe? No, it was a terrible impression of my wife's voice. <laughs> she hears this. She's gonna, gonna kill like, me. Oh my, oh my god. <laughs> um, no, yeah, like I thought. Obviously, I was attracted to her, and you know she. Was too, I hope. To no, me. I'm just wondering, like, did she think, like, you know, like, oh. It, we did talk about that. So, yeah. like, she, the orphanage is a place that received, like, a lot of, like, short term missionaries exactly. and stuff, and people yeah. were in and out. So, like, when I started talking to her, like, she didn't really give me the time of day at first because she was like, I'm not. Did she get hit on before you? Yeah. Probably. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, she yeah. did. Yeah. She was like, another one. Yeah, right. Exactly. Here we go. But the thing is, most of the people that have come there, they didn't speak Spanish or anything like that. And I'd lived in Mexico already. So, like, you know, I spoke fluent Spanish and. Got to know Kimberly really well. Me and Kimberly became best friends because I had an iPod and I was like letting her borrow it. And she was you like knew. the most popular kid in the whole <laughs> orphanage. She would literally come up to the door like where I was working be like, excuse me, David, can I have your iPod? And I'm like, you know what? Yes. After all, all the kids had already asked me and I told them no, yeah. but then Kimberly would come. Yeah. I will make you my favorite. Yeah, that's exactly. Fine. Yeah. And so yeah. that's how I won her over. Yeah. And so, but that was kind of the way we started. Yeah. Um, it was interesting, you know. So how long did you guys date before you got married? Um, About a year. I guess. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah that's a long time. A little time. over a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. David, when you were working at the orphanage, was there ever a time when you're looking at these precious little babies that you're like, I have to take you home with me? Yes, of course. So, like I said, when I was that day, when somebody handed me that baby, that baby, she was actually, had just been there for like four, she was like four weeks old, five weeks old. Mm-hmm. She had just gotten there. The mom had like just dropped her off. There's no like much backstory about her, you know, which is the case in a lot of those kids. Mm-hmm. But I guess because it was just that moment, like I was holding her the first time. So every day, also because of Rosa, I would go back to the baby house, <laughs> yeah. you know, to see her. And eventually this little girl, like, I don't just want to like cliche say that she grew on me. Cause I believe now after all the things that have happened that um, she is part of our lives permanently mm-hmm. for a specific reason that has it, we haven't even seen yet. But I say all that because I became really close to her and like, you know, obviously you don't want a kid at orphanage to start to call you dad or anything like that. Cause oh you don't want God, to create, that's like but she did. I never, I never taught her to, but she would always like, I was poppy. Like that was it. She like, I would put her to bed every night, I'd bathe her, everything. I mean, that was, and Rosa too, and Kimberly too. Like we mm. just kind of became like this close, you know. What was her name? Her name was Juliet. Juliet. Yeah. And so to not go into too many details, basically every month, the kids are allowed, if they have them, they're allowed to receive visitors at the orphanage if they have any like distant family members or whatever. Okay. And so she never got any, like there was never any story of any family or anything like that. And so I had talked with Rosa, we were like, look, I have no idea what the ins and outs of this look like, or even if it's like legally possible or how it works to like choose a child and all these things, because there's a lot of different laws and things yeah. like that. But I was like, if the possibility exists, and that means that we have to live here like the rest of our lives, and we'll be able to adopt her. Is that something we'd like to do? And we prayed about it. We talked about it. And that was absolutely something we wanted to do. Not knowing what that would look like at all. But anyway, I say all that because there was this one particular Sunday, visitor Sunday. I remember, never forget. I was down her, with her at the baby house and somebody said, y'all need to bring Juliet up. There's a visitor here. And I was like, oh man. Oh, okay. No. So we'd go up there and it was an uncle. Okay. You'd never seen him before. So I, you know, hand, it was hard. I gave him, gave her to him and he, they kind of sat there and just, you know, they have like a few minutes to talk and things like that. And I kind of stayed close. And you know, it was awkward. Or How old was the, Juliet at this time? She was like two and a half, almost three at oh the time. Oh she's so little. Yeah. And so that was weird. It was hard. Anyway, so I, I kind of like let it go and didn't think anything of it. But then the social worker let me know like, 
he's trying to get custody. He wants to have her. And I was like, man, like this sucks. Like this is mm. tough. And so I remember the day of the court case, a lot of people were trying to give me advice and well wishes. And they were like, probably not gonna, he's not gonna get her because he only came to visit once. And there's a lot right. of protocols and things you gotta do. So this is probably just a first meeting, first hearing. And I remember walking back because I wasn't allowed to go into the courthouse. I remember walking back up and he was holding her and I wasn't sure if he was gonna hand her back to me or not. Oh gosh. And he didn't. And he was like, thanks for taking care of her. And I was just, oh. just like that. And that was how, and I was just like, oh. And then I remember telling him, cause this was April. And I remember saying, hey, ne like next week's her birthday. It would be okay if you gave me your phone number so I could call. And he was like, oh, when's her birthday? You know what oh. I mean? And I was just like, Ugh. Anyway, so what that- What does that feel like? It was, Explain it. It felt like I lost a, my daughter. Like mm -hmm. people think I'm crazy or they, they did back then, like that I was that, I just knew that it was a God thing. It wasn't mm -hmm. like me just being emotional, like, oh, we'll take one of these kids home, yippee. Like, it wasn't like that. It was like, there's a specific connected. purpose right yeah. here. I could see it. And so um, I'll be honest, I after that day, I bought a ticket and I came home to the States. I was like, I don't, I can't, I told Rose, I was like, I need a break, just not from you, but just from this, I gotta get out. I can't handle this. I remember coming mm -hmm. home, I was here for three weeks and I prayed every single day. I remember the places that I would walk to and pray. I remember every detail. And I'll pray, God, please protect Juliet today. Protect what she sees, what she hears, what she eats, what, what she feels, every detail. I go through like all the senses, I would pray. And eventually I was like, all right, I can make it. I, I need to go back. I can't just run just because this happened, you know, because there's other kids that need, you know, mm -hmm. love and support. And so I went back, I was there for a week and I remember being down in the baby house, feeding the kids with Rosa and we're talking. And one of this other missionaries that lived at the orphanage, I mean, he called my phone and he was like, hey, um, I'm not trying to like, I'm not joking around. He's like, I'm pulling into the parking lot right now. And there's a van in front of me. And I promise you, there's a girl in the van. She looks just like Juliet. And I'm like, don't play with me, man. Yeah, like, don't do that. Yeah. And so I'm at the bottom. If you've ever been, if anybody's ever been like the bottom of the orphanage. And then there's like literally 144 steps because I've counted them <laughs> to get to the top. And like, you're in Guatemala. It's like high altitudes. You're like, yeah. it's hard. You lose your breath. I ran as fast as I could. I got up there. It was like, this part was like a movie in the sense that I look, she jumps out of the van. I'm like, is that her? It was her. She sees me runs up to me. Oh my gosh. And it's, you're thinking like big hug and I'll never forget. She hit me, she hit me in the face. Like oh hit me real hard. Gosh. Almost like saying like, why'd you let me yeah, go? Yeah, why'd you leave? let me go? And so anyway. Oh God, David, this to, is so sad. To not, to not give all the crazy details, but she was not in good shape. Let's just put it that way. Mm. Like physically, she had been, she just wasn't in good shape. And so I remember taking her How old her was she? She was a little over three this mm. time now. I remember taking her back to the, her house, bathing her, cleaning her up, brushing her teeth, giving her something to eat, put her to sleep, just thanking God, but also like, oh. Feeling you know? terrible for And her. so I remember um, just that moment. And so she was there back and I was just like, maybe, the, you know, this, is, this it. is it. Like maybe we can do this. And then right around that time, just different things started to happen. And I felt like God was telling me that it was time to come back to the States. And I remember telling Rosa, and our, my main thing was like, well, what about Juliet? Like, I don't want to leave because of this. And she was like, I remember Rosa telling me, look, if you think that God needs you to take care of her or any other kid, you're wrong. And I remember being like, dang, you're right. I know it's, it's, it's hard for us to understand, but like she watched it. You right. know, she watched kids get exactly. taken care of without parents or anyone like, quote unquote, yep. looking after them. Right. And she knew that God was perfectly capable of yep. taking care of them. Yeah. Man. So that happened, um, it was cool because she did come back um, right at the time to be able to be the, the flower girl in our wedding. So that was cool, I have pictures of that. Um, and then, you know, 
almost a year later is when we decided to move and come back to the States. We did. I kept in contact all the time. And then I remember the day we found out that um, her grandparents came onto the scene. Okay. And they ended up, her aunt and her grandma, grandparents ended up taking her um, to live with them. And I remember thinking like, well, that's good, you know, but also like, what does that mean? Yeah. And this is a great, I can't give you all the details of this story because it would take forever, but basically God ordained it to where I was able to connect with this lawyer who happened to know details about her case and got me in contact with the family. And so um, I was able to call and talk to them and things like that. And then in 2017, my wife and I, we went, we were taking a, a trip with the team, mm -hmm. a mission trip, and we went a week earlier and we went, it was a nine hour trip to get to where she lives. It's like in the jungle. Really? They don't even speak Spanish there. They speak different dialects. What? And so we got there. Her aunt speaks both languages, so she would translate. But Juliet doesn't speak Spanish anymore. She speaks a different dialect. Okay. But she remembers me. She I does saw remember her, you. All the gifts that I've ever given, like they were in the little cupboard that she was there. I gave her pictures and everything. And I talked to her aunt um, a lot um, and try to keep that contact. And so Rose and I always talk um, that if it means that we're supposed to be in contact with her until she's 18, and then she can make her own decision. Maybe we could help pay for her school while she's in Guatemala or get her a visa or whatever needs, whatever needs to happen. Like she is You're part of our connected. family. Yeah. Um, just not, doesn't look like the way I thought it was going to look like, but right. she's still there. So. How old is she now? She's 11. 11. Yeah. Oh. I just got pictures from her, of, of her the other day from her aunt. It's oh, crazy. That's how old she looks. But That's an incredible story. Hey, this is Mandy Winehusen from the Mommy Jolie blog. And if you're looking for an amazing salon in the New Orleans and Metairie area, you've got to check out Glow Hair and Beauty located at 3101 Metairie Road. They specialize in color, cuts, extensions, and makeup, and they will have you looking beautiful. And during the month of July, if you mention the code word Mommy Jolie, you will get a free Luair products with your service purchase. And it's not just a salon. It's a feeling. So, girl, go get your glow on. All right, and we're back. Um, okay, so David just got done telling us all kinds of things about his how he grew up was the first half, and then he was in Guatemala. He's now married yep. and as a daughter. Yep. And then now, so you're back in the U.S. of A. Yep. With your wife yep. and your daughter. And, and firstborn son, Jet. Oh, wait, so you had Guatemala. your firstborn son in Guatemala? Yeah. I had to sell my truck to pay for his, his birth, I guess. I never realized that. Yeah. Okay. His name's Jet what? Jet Speed. Cool name. And then my other son that was born here, his name's Max. Max Speed and Jet yep. Speed. Yep. Love it. Okay, so start telling us about, like, paint the picture for us now that you're back in the USA. What okay. was going on? Yep. So God called us back to the United States. We came here back to New Orleans, obviously, without a real plan. You know, I was literally like applying at like McDonald's and different places. I had no idea like what we're going to do. Like, I was like, I need to get a job. Like, Was I your left. wife happy to come here? Yeah. Okay. Even though it was hard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was even harder. It was even harder for Kimberly because her whole life literally was inside this orphanage. It's a big like outside Jeez, places and yeah. stuff. But it, I mean, that was her life. And so we came back. We were staying at my dad's apartment. My dad lived in Houston at the time. So we were staying in his apartment. All four of us. I was single when I moved. And now I'm back with a family. So like all these. This <laughs> is crazy. Um, but with God kind of ordained everything. So I reached out to Atonement Lutheran before we moved back because I was trying to find a school for Kimberly. And mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not going to throw her into a public school because like, especially because 
she just grew up in this orphanage. Like, I want to like at least maybe like a smaller school and transition. English? She spoke no English at all. Okay. So I was like, all right, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> like, prayed about it. We'll see if we can get her into Atonement Lutheran. And she'll just repeat the grade that she just took in Guatemala. So it'll give her a year to like learn English. Gotcha. Right? Mm-hmm. At the time, it was a very hard decision. But we ended up doing that. And not only did they accept Kimberly at the school, but he was like, hey, so you still want to teach Spanish? Oh, no way. Yeah. And so I got the same job that I that you left came back years before you before like picked up right where you left off and seminary took me back in the same degree so I like restarted and you had your saints tickets right and I had my saints tickets <laughs> yes <laughs> full circle yeah and I yeah so <laughs> yeah so that happened so that was amazing then we were kind of like all right we're here but I have Kimberly now and I have Jet and I was like the church we were at great church love it but we was like I need something for them and then I also wanted Kimberly to like learn a little more English so like we were at a Spanish church. I was like, maybe it's time to like transition. Mm-hmm. So we started going to celebration on Saturday nights. Kimberly would go. She loved the kids stuff. Mm-hmm. We had Jet with us and I would translate for my wife, Rosa, in the back. We'd sit in the back and I would just translate. And so long story short, so cute. Um, Pastor Dennis saw me doing that, asked who I was. We got to meet. I went to his office. He was like, who are you? You know, what's your deal? Like, who are you? Friends with Steven. I know Steven. You know, what are you doing here or whatever? So we talked and I just, you know, kind of, he's like, you have any questions for me? At the end, and I was like, I guess I do have one. I was like, you, you know, having an influential church in the area, why don't you've ever thought about having like a Hispanic ministry? Because there's a lot of Hispanics here, especially after Katrina. And he was like, hmm, good question. And I was just like, yeah. And he's like, why do you want to do something about it? <laughs> he asked me. I was like, no, no, thank you. Like, <laughs> um, but but he, you need one. Yeah. There is a need. Right. And so we um, were going to like a small group and stuff, but it was in English. And I could tell like Rosa was missing that like culture, you know, like, the yeah, same thing that I saw. Exactly. And so I was like, all right, we'll start a group at least. We'll start a group. And okay. so in February of 2014, we started a small group in Spanish. And eventually it's grown into what we have now, which is three Spanish campuses what? in celebration. One in Kenner, one in Metairie, and one in Costa Rica. And the, we went from one small group. And now if you count all those campuses up, we have 65 small groups. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So which one are you at? I'm at Metairie. But I kind of oversee the other one in the sense of like, you know, just helping out and coordinating. Who are, the, like who are the pastors of the other locations? One is, um, he's actually from here. He was born in Nicaragua, but grew up in the States and went to be a missionary in Costa Rica. His name's Humberto mm-hmm. Caldera. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a barber here in Kenner like before. And no he, way. Yeah. <laughs> Who's uh, the other pastor? Um, he's a guy from Dominican Republic that's here and he's in Kenner. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the story um, of where we're at now. What would you say the biggest challenge that you encounter while being a pastor? Like, what's the hardest part about being a pastor? Specifically in the the area of ministry that I'm in? Anything. With, like, I just wish I knew, had more insight to, like, what you guys deal with on the daily. Like, what is the hardest part about it? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of things that, like, any pastor could say as far as, like, you know, tragic events in people's lives or, mm-hmm. you know, different things like that. But I guess to give you a more even specific answer, just for, like, the area that I'm in, specifically with the Hispanic community is um, I'm able to, because I lived in those countries and now I'm here, like I'm able to connect the dots of stories of why people are here now and they might not be here legally or they might not be here with the exact things in order to be here, but I know why they're here. And like, I know them personally and they're amazing people and they're good people. They're like literally were fearful of their lives or they were in starvation or they're in crazy experiences and they're here now and they want to be able to be here the correct way and like 
they come and ask me for help and yeah. they come and ask me for prayer. And like, I go to battle for them in prayer because like legally I can't obviously do yeah. anything, but like, I know these people and they're just the most amazing, caring people. Like they've taken me in. People joke, like the other day we were in service and somebody came up, it, Pastor Dennis was actually gonna lead part of the Lord's Supper. And I was standing next to him to translate because he was gonna do an English and I was gonna translate and I'm doing it. And then after the service, this guy comes up to me, one of the guys in our, you know, our community. And he was like, you were standing up there next to Pastor Dennis. And I heard him speaking in English. And I thought like, who's going to translate? But then I remembered, oh, you speak English. Because like, like they always- They forget that you that Like you they speak joke English, when yeah. I speak English. They're like, oh, I forget you speak English. Yeah, like, right. Because that's just our whole lives now. So that's definitely a challenge. Yeah, um, you now, I feel like you have like an accent when you talk. It's people funny. tell me that it's sometimes. Like, it's like, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So what would you feel like is the- greatest blessing you get to experience because of being a pastor? Again, I can't like run from it because I think that's the way that God tugged my heart to bring me into this originally, even when I was in high school and I was drawn to like the culture of just like this family culture. Cause I, I have it now again with my parents that they're remarried, but there was a big gap in my life to where I didn't. And I was alone a lot, yeah. <laughs> you know, where's your mom, dad? Like that was me. I was alone a lot yeah. and I struggled with that. And so now um, I'm able to be blessed by not only just being a part of it, but like I'm able to speak into their lives and like, and, and help them and like create, cause naturally Hispanics have this great culture, but I'm able to take that culture and combine it with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And like when that happens, it's like things, crazy things happen. It's so amazing. That's why like, even now with this pandemic and things like that, mm -hmm. like really, you know, obviously people, less people come on a weekend and stuff like that, but our church is actually thriving because we have these small groups of people and they love each other. They have to be around each other. They can't go days without seeing yeah. each other because it's just this real love. So like when I'm in that and sometimes I'll be at the, over somebody's house and they're just hanging out and eating and I just sit back and I'm just like, dang, like I think of everything. It. Yeah. And I'm like, this is it. Like, this is so cool. And yeah. not only that, now that we've been here for six, seven years, Rosa and I talk all the time that we've been able to help Guatemala a million times more than we ever would have been able to if we had stayed. What would you say the future holds for you and your family? What's your vision? Um, I have a big vision, to be honest. One thing I would say is I always joke with people, but I'm being serious. And that <laughs> I feel like I am, when I'm out of the country, I'm home. And when I'm in the United States, I'm a missionary. That's how I feel. I love that. Because I feel like I just, there's a difference. Mm -hmm. And it's, I can't speak about it to make somebody understand it. They just have to see it and experience it for themselves. Um, but I say that because I've seen like what we can do here as a church in the United States to be able to help churches in Latin America specifically, because that's part of the vision I have. God has connected us with some really cool people over the years in Guatemala. And some of these guys that have these different organizations, they have this vision that just clicks with my vision. And the vision is they see these communities in Central America, Latin America, and they have long-term visions for them. So you're not just going to go into a community and be like, all right, we're going to give you this and give you, give you some food and we'll give you a house and then you're good. Bye-bye. No, they go in and they're like, we have an 18-year vision. Meaning like we go in and we assume that the newborn kids are the ones who are going to be the leaders of this community, Christian leaders in 18 oh, that's years. incredible. And so like, it's a long-term vision. But my thing is, what if every single church in the United States, every Bible-believing church in the United States would adopt just one community in a different country? It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be Latin America even. Just adopt one community 
and be that, in it for and the that long be, haul. And that be yeah. your long, and you go in and you're not just giving them stuff because that doesn't help. Yeah. But like you teach them things, you teach them English, teach them about the gospel. You grow leaders like that are children to where they become the real leader. And like that's where, and that'll just spread. It'll be mm-hmm. contagious. So that's like my long-term vision. I love that. I, I was listening and some, somebody was saying this, how so many American churches will go into these countries and throw a bunch of Bibles or Don't stuff. Don't get me started. Just stuff be, at these communities and then they leave. Yeah. And it's like, you're really leaving them with nothing. You right. didn't give them any hope. Right. And it's like, when you tell them about God and what he's done in your life and the hope that he actually offers, that's intangible and yeah. you don't have to leave anything. Just yeah. leave that. Exactly. And they carry that with them in their hearts and it changes lives. And yeah. that's what it's all about. I, so, joke, I joke with the teams that we bring down. Like we'll have team meetings before the actual like date that we leave. And about the third or fourth team meeting, I'll say like, hey, last night the Lord revealed to me that we should not go on this trip. Um, but since you've already paid your money, is it cool if I just give the money to the organization that yeah. we're going to, and they're all like, what? Oh, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But yeah, you know, that, would, that yeah. would actually be better sometimes yeah, exactly. if we did that. Oh my gosh. I went on a mission trip to Guadalupe, Mexico. We're affiliated with an orphanage over at my okay. local church. And this was, I was a junior in high school first. And honestly, that was my last mission. I haven't been on one since. So it was, what, like 16 years ago? I can't remember how long yeah. it's been. You know, you had to wear like, long shorts, like the way the culture was over there. Like you can't have like painted nails associated with prostitution, like all this stuff. And I just remember like being there and like helping and seeing the kids just so content with so little, but also just (laughs) strongly noticing in myself, like Katie, you might be more helpful as one of those people that just like gives yeah. because like you are just not cut out right. for this right. life. I just remember being like, I'm not going to make it. But that's so good though that you notice like, that. I want a working <laughs> toilet. I want to be able to flush the <laughs> toilet. I can't do this. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a specific calling and you have to like be gifted to like yeah. go there and be there and stay there. It's yeah. not for everybody. You can always donate money. That's yes. a great way to help. Yeah. And I can tell you that helping people is hard for sure. Yeah. It's something, this last thing I'll just share that I learned. I had this really good hearted person that was like, hey, why don't we go down and like make a feeding ministry? Mm. And we just, we have it ready to go and like, it'll be good. And like, we can feed people once a day and whatever. I was like, that's a great idea. But us as Americans, we go into these cultures and we're like, oh, this is what you need. This is what you need. This is what you need without getting to know the people and getting to know the need. And so I was like, for example, what if Mm. you went in and you made this lunch hour feeding ministry? Right. And you start it and everybody comes and they love it. But down the street, little Maria has a shop or a restaurant where she makes lunch for everybody and they pay a minimal you know, fee or they pay a little bit. But because you open up your free ministry, she loses her business. Like mm. everything's connected. You have to make sure like and so it's hard. To it's get a long term thing. And yes. the people to know where everything's it's best connected. To serve. Yeah, yep. that's so. so great. All right, David. So now that we're kind of wrapping up the end of this podcast, I do something with all of my guests. It's called the lightning round. It's okay. just like a bunch of questions that I ask you on the fly. You got to just react and answer first thing that pops in your head. For those of you listening for the first time, I base this off of the old show Inside the Actors Studio. Some of these questions are questions that he actually asked himself. And some of them I switched up to better fit what I thought would work out. Okay. So David, are you ready for the lightning round? Listo. <laughs> what does that mean? What? That's Spanish. Oh, come on. What? It means Listo. ready. Listo. I'm ready. Ready. Okay, there we go. What is your favorite word? Listo. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I just are you going to say something in Spanish? I will. My favorite word is a fa- word in Spanish. It's fijate. 
What does it mean? It means like, look at this. Like, look, look, look. Let me check this out. Would you look at this? Yeah. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Gusano. It means worm or slug in Spanish. Okay, okay. What makes you laugh? Um, this right now. Um, <laughs> my kids. Yeah. What makes you cry? My kids. <laughs> <laughs> what noise do you love? This noise right here when you like make a little uh, air pocket in your, your cheek and you go like this. You hear that? Wait, my sister can talk like that. I don't that. know why. I love that. It's so satisfying to me. Yeah. <laughs> what noise do you hate? The one you just made up. <laughs> oh, Lord. My worst thing in the whole world is if you're chewing, I will, like, I have like a panic attack if I hear somebody chewing That's too much. You're not the first person to I say that. It. I yeah. literally hate it. Who is someone you admire? I would say favorite pastor, preacher, author is Tim Keller. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I always wanted to be a football coach. That was my thing. Cool. They would joke when I was at the Saints games. They would be like, they would call me Madden because I would call the plays out before they would do them. That's yep. pretty cool. I was a nerd for that. And you were part of that non-athletic society? They weren't non-athletic. We we're athletic. Uh, Ultimate Frisbee is tough. You ever <laughs> play that? It's tiring. No. What profession would you not like to do? Be a roofer when it's cold. Seriously. What? Or when it's hot. I know, I'd rather hot. Cold, your hands get all tight and like you have to care. Oh, it's terrible. Okay. If heaven exists, which I know you think it does. Sure. What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Who dat? <laughs> I'm serious, because he's going to. I'm not even kidding. You know how much money I made off them boys? Ooh, and I gave it all back, 10%. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> gosh. Well, David, thank you so much for coming and being a guest on my show, The First Guy. I'm I'm really so honored. And um, can you tell the listeners where they can find you on social media? Sure. Um, Twitter, Instagram is uh, DavidSpeed underscore. Okay. I have TikTok too. Where I'm just it? kidding. I did, but then I deleted it because <laughs> of China and the whole thing. <laughs> Good. So many things to edit. Oh, you can keep that. <laughs> And you can find us at Motivation Station with Katie on Instagram. And this has been another episode of the Motivation Station. And to all those dreamers out there, just run with it. Because if you don't, somebody else will.